Hey, let's pray, and we're going to look into God's Word. So uh, we do believe in the Holy Spirit. And again, one of the ancient creeds says, He's the Lord and the giver of life. So we rely on you, Holy Spirit, to give us life. Not just life like breathing food and water, but life in our spirits. We become fully alive and awake and free uh, in the deepest part of our being. So Holy Spirit, would you show us, teach us, tell us, shout at us, whisper to us, whatever you need to do to help us understand uh, the Word of God and show us what kind of people uh, you can change us into being. And we ask all in Christ's name. Amen. I almost slipped on saying amen. I didn't know what I was getting ready to say. about saying, One time when I was praying in public, I said, I have no idea why I did this. I said, and I pray this all in Jesus' name. And then I said, A1. <laughs> and I remember, think, I remember thinking, and it was in front of a bunch of college students. It was a big guy. And I thought, oh, maybe they didn't notice. And then there was this slow rumble of laughter. Just like, I was like, I have no idea why I just said A1. So even then I was getting ready to say something else. I didn't even know what it was, but I thought, stop. The word is amen. So anyway, anyway, uh, hey, the emoji for the day. Go to the, go to the emoji I have on there. The, I think I have the sadness emoji on there. Do I have that one? Okay, that's okay. We're good with that. That's okay. Pentecost didn't have PowerPoint and the Holy Spirit was fine. So I had, I had a big emoji and for those of us, of those of you over 60 who like me had learned from your kids, an emoji is like a smiley face symbol that represents some emotion. And I found out, I was looking at this, emoji is a Japanese word, and it literally means a picture-writing character. So this one was a real sad face. Oh, there it is. There's my, there's my sad. That's the topic of the day, sadness. So that's the sad. There's, there's many sad emojis to choose from. So if you're sending somebody a text or whatever and... Um, but it's, a, it's an emotion. Sadness is an emotion. And it's an emotion we all feel. And uh, when I look up the definition of sadness or, or synonyms, it's words like unhappy, despondent, discouraged, gloomy, downcast, downhearted, depressed, dejected, melancholy. But it's more than a definition. It's a feeling. When you're sad, it takes over your body. You kind of feel a... I mean, think about times when somebody you love has died or something sad has happened in your life, which you've all had, you get a pit in your stomach. Like if you're like me, I'm always on the verge of tears. Even the regular, something will just tap me off. Um, your whole body feels sad. So it's a, pretty, it's, a, it's a pretty powerful emotion, sadness, and it's, you know, twin, twin sister or twin brother grief. Pretty powerful emotions, not just in the human head, but in the human heart and the whole human body. So the question is when in times of sadness, especially deep sadness, where's Jesus? When you're sad, where is he? Because sometimes I'm guessing some of you might say, sometimes I can't, I can't seem to find him. I don't know where he is. And those, and those, maybe in those dark times, it's like I just feel so overwhelmed. It's like, where's Jesus? So today we're talking about that. Like, how does, how does Jesus relate to us in our sadness? And we're looking at, look at some things today that I think, for me at least, it threw me up for a little bit of a loop. It helps me understand Jesus better. So we're going to read from a—so uh, I've been doing a series of the, you know, the following 
Sundays of Easter, there's technically six Sundays of the Easter season. So instead of just doing an Easter sermon, I thought I'd do six of them. Uh, and focusing on people that Jesus interacted with after his resurrection. So it's mostly the last chapters of either Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, or maybe the first part of Acts. Uh, we did Peter and Jesus' interaction with Peter. We did Mary Magdalene, his interaction with her. And what did we learn from that? Because these are post-resurrection realities where Jesus' personality and his being is totally on stage. So today we're going to do a guy named Cleopas. So Cleopas was not one of the original apostles, obviously, but he's a follower of Jesus. And there's a story that happens in the end of Luke 24. We're, I'm going to, we're, going to read, I'm going to read, we're going to read part of it together, and then I'll finish the rest. But I'm going to ask you to do this, like I've asked you other times. I'm going to ask you to, I think it's a good practice, put yourself, use your imagination, put yourself in the story. Some people, I mean, the technical term is Ignatian imagination, but that's just because a guy named Ignatius told his followers to do that, which is probably something men and women have done throughout. But put yourself in the story. Don't read it just as a text. You know, feel the story, feel the sandals on your feet, feel the air, whatever, but feel the emotion too, because this is a pretty emotional day, all right? So we're going to read with me. You're going to start the first part with me. So this is Luke chapter 24. Jesus is resurrected from the dead. This is actually Sunday afternoon. He rose from the dead that morning. Peter's been to the tomb. John's been to the tomb. Mary and the others have been to the tomb. And the rumor has it that Jesus is alive because not everybody's seen him yet. But Mary said, I've seen him. She came back and told him. So this is that same afternoon. So right away, if you're a follower of Jesus, just feel the sadness that you probably feel. You're sad, you're confused, you're all the above. So, and we can't do, you know, I, we have a phrase about flashbacks. There's no flash forwards right now. In other words, we know what happens, but right now just be in the moment with these people. Because you have these moments with Jesus, and you don't always know what next week or next month is going to look like, all right? So out loud, just join me on this passage right here, right? Out loud with me. That same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. But God kept them from recognizing him. Now, I, we don't know what that means or why they didn't recognize him, but you realize that Mary, when she first saw Jesus, didn't recognize him. Other times they didn't recognize So there's something about Jesus' post-resurrection body. He was still a body because he ate. He ate fish. You know, he still was human. But something was different about him. They didn't always, or God was holding back them seeing things. All right? So they're walking along the road, and Jesus just kind of, he's there. And Jesus, no, I mean, just read the rest of the passage, and we'll go back and look at things. And Jesus asked them, what are you talking about so intently as you walk along? They stop short. Like, they stop walking, stop. Sadness written across their faces. Then one of them, Cleobus, replied, he must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened here in the last few days. Jesus says, what things? The things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles and was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. We had hoped he was the Messiah who would come to rescue Israel. 
So just the connection of sadness and hope. They were big hope. Now they're sad. This all happened just three days ago. Then some women from our group of his followers were at the tomb early this morning, and they came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing, and they had, they had seen angels who told them Jesus is alive. Some of our men ran to see, and sure enough, his body was gone, just as the woman had said. Jesus then said to them, you foolish people. You find it so hard to believe that all the prophets wrote in the scriptures? Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer these things before entering his glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses. Again, they're walking along the road to Emmaus. Jesus took them through the writings of Moses, all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. By this time, they were nearing Emmaus. So Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. Uh, I think I checked yesterday. This building is nine miles to Ellettsville or Edgewood High School. So stop two miles short of that. But anyway, it's a, it's a walk. But it's not something you, you could do that in a day, all right? This time they were nearing Emmaus and the end of their journey. Jesus acted as if he were going on. But they begged him, stay the night with us since it's getting late. So he went home with them. As they sat down to eat, he took the bread and he blessed it. Then he broke it and he gave it to them. He had just done this Thursday night, right? This is Sunday afternoon. Suddenly their eyes were opened and they recognized him. At that moment, he disappeared. They said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained scriptures to us? And within the hour, they were on their way back to Jerusalem. There they found the 11 disciples and the others who had gathered with them. And they said, the Lord has really risen. He appeared to Peter. So look, I'm going to look at a couple of these things that Jesus said, because if you think about it, some of these is kind of like, what, what's going on here? So first thing, he says to them, he joins them, and he says, what are you talking about? Jesus, these are two of your followers. They, they've been experiencing these last three days. What do you mean? What, why is he asking them? Why doesn't he reveal himself then? I mean, he just said sadness was written across their faces. They're sad. What are you, talk, what are you talking about? It's like, are you the only person? They actually stopped as they're walking. Are you the only person in Jerusalem that doesn't know what's going on? So why did he ask him that? I mean, this is a sad, heavy day, and he doesn't reveal himself. I would want Jesus to reveal himself ASAP when I'm sad. But Jesus doesn't do that. And we have to ask, why? Why doesn't he just say, what are you talking about? So intently. And, you know, they're... And it says they start telling him what they're sad about. And he lets them talk. I use an analogy, a story from this last week, but there's uh, C.S. Lewis, the British, great British writer from 100 years ago or so, um, less than that actually, wrote the Chronicles of Narnia in one of his books called The Horse and His Boy. He has a scene, I read from a horse and his boy last week, but he has a scene scene in here where it, I, I'm pretty sure it mirrors this, this particular situation. So Aslan is the lion in his allegory story that's Jesus. And then Shasta is a, one of the children in the story, but he just had, he's just had a hard, hard go of it as of late in this part of the story. And he realizes this lion is, lion is following him. But he doesn't, he, he's scared to death. I mean, he doesn't know it's Aslan. He doesn't know who Aslan is. But 
So he's, he's walking along, Shasta is. He knows there's some great beast in the woods that he can't see, but he can feel it, and he's scared. And he's also been through just all kinds of stuff, so he's incredibly sad. So he says to the lion, who are you? He said, barely above a whisper. One who has waited long for you to speak, said the thing, capital T. The voice was not loud, but very large and very deep. Are you a giant, asked Shasta. You might call me a giant, said the large voice, but I'm not like the creatures you call giants. But I can't see you at all, said Shasta, after staring very hard. Even, for more, even after a more terrible idea came into his head, he said almost in a scream, you're not, you're not something dead, are you? Oh, please, please to go away. What harm have I ever done to you? I'm the unluckiest person in the whole world. Once more, he felt the warm breath of the thing, the thing being the lion, Aslan, on his handed face. There, it said, this is not the breath of a ghost. And then Jesus says this, I love this line, tell me your sorrows. Tell me your sadness. Aslan asked that of Shasta. Jesus essentially, when he says, what are you talking about? He's like, tell, tell me your sorrow. Talk about it. What, what are you talking about? So there's times where we're going through stuff. Maybe Jesus just wants us to talk about it with him. Maybe if you're laying awake at night and you're fearful, afraid, sad, or whatever, maybe the voice you hear is Jesus saying, tell me your sadness. And, of course, you think, and I think, well, Jesus, you know, but there's something maybe about us telling him. So when he asks them what he talks so my, here's my statement from the day. In our sadness, Jesus doesn't always reveal himself right away. In our sadness, Jesus doesn't always reveal himself right away. So then they talk. They tell him, uh, you know, we, what are you talking about? And then they said, well, have you heard about the things that have been happening? He says, what things? Again, is, is, is Jesus faking ignorance here? What things? What, what's happened? And they go through, well, Jesus is great in word and deed and power. And he did all these things. And the, the, the Jewish leaders decided uh, they killed him. They crucified him. And then they say this line, we had hoped he was the Messiah who was going to rescue Israel. We had this huge hope, and we really thought, he's the one. Now, of course, in their mind, the hope was rescue Israel militarily from the Romans. They weren't thinking the way Jesus was thinking. But still, we had hoped this. And then he died. But then we've heard these reports from some of our friends, Mary and Peter and others, that the tomb's empty and maybe he's alive, but we don't know. But I want to just focus right now on that when Jesus says what things and what part of what they say is we, we'd hoped he was the one. So most of our sadness, if you're like me, is we have these hopes that most times they're, they're realistic. But something happens, whether it's a sickness or a death or a loss of a job or a loss of a relationship. And all of a sudden, sadness kicks. So sadness is like an aftergrowth, you know, a hope. So there's a, I'm a, I'm a fan of the musical Les Miserables, but uh, there's a song uh, called I Dreamed a Dream. I'm, I'm not going to sing it, so the whole song, because I can't really. 
But one of the, th- here's how the start, actually I'll sing part of this just to get the sense, but it's thinking about dreams and hopes, all right? There was a time when men were kind. There was a time when men were kind. When the voices were soft and their words inviting. There was a time when love was blind and the world was a song and the song was exciting. There was a time, everybody know the next line that she says, and it all went wrong. I had this dream. I had this hope. There was a time where the world was supposed to be this way. Or I had a time where we thought Jesus was the Messiah. Or I had these hopes for my life and my relationships, my friends, my family, my marriage, my future. Then it all went wrong. That's the point where we have to understand, what does Jesus do at that moment? So he's asking them, what things? What are you you talking about? So they tell him, and he, he then answers, you foolish people. Okay, now stop for a second here. Freeze frame for a second with me. It almost seems like Jesus is being a little bit mocking and cruel. I mean, it's the day of his resurrection. He's talking to these followers of his. He knows them. He probably knows them well. They've just told him why they're sad about seeing him die, that he was the hope. And then he says, you foolish people. He's not, he's not calling them fools, but he is. I mean, the, the, the Greek word there could be translated stupid, but we tend to use that in a more condescending. Jesus would never have been condescending. But in, in, in the passage, in, in some of the translations, it says, you foolish people and slow of heart to understand so sometimes we're foolish and slow yeah sometimes I don't see what God's doing I haven't put it all together even though there's scripture in the said that Jesus spent the, a good part of the next part of the walk opening scripture and talking about himself could have talked from, we don't know what his talk was, but he could have talked from Isaiah 53 where it said the Messiah had to suffer. said he was talking about from Moses and the prophets. Could have talked about when Moses was told there's going to be a great one come after you, a great prophet after you. He was talking about Jesus. Could have been from Isaiah. Could have been the Psalms where it talks about the, the, the Messiah is going to be pierced. He's going to be thirsty and given vinegar to drink. I mean, Jesus, there's any number of passages from the book of Isaiah or from Leviticus or Numbers or the book of Psalms or some from the book of Zechariah that are prophecies that Jesus is then telling these guys. He's putting it all together because they, like we, like me, when things are sad or difficult or hard, I'm foolish and slow of heart. I, I don't get it. And in their case, as in our case, sometimes we don't get it because we had an expectation of this. Jesus is going to come and kick out the Romans, military. So all of our hopes are based on maybe a false endpoint. But Jesus, his, his whole idea of his kingdom is wholly different. So they, they didn't understand. And then he explained to them. It says he, just, he went through the scripture and explained to them this is what had to happen. But again, I asked the question when I read this. Okay, first of all, Jesus, when I'm going through a really hard day, I don't know, I don't know that I want to be thought by you as a fool and slow of heart. 
even though it might be true. And maybe I need to, again, he's not, Jesus is not condescending. The word foolish just kind of is a sense of kind of slow of mind. So Jesus is saying you're kind of slow of mind and slow of heart. You haven't put it all together. The aha moment hasn't happened. And partially because it doesn't happen unless God does that in us. But so again, the question, I, why doesn't he just tell them it's me? I mean, this is probably now. They've been walking a few miles at least. Isn't that enough to let them sit in their grief? Isn't that enough, Jesus, to kind of let them talk about their sadness? You talked about Scripture, about yourself. So isn't it time now to end their sadness? No, he doesn't do that. So again, here's my statement. In our sadness, Jesus does not always reveal himself right away. And there's something really, really good about that in a way that doesn't sound right. But then, in this part, almost, actually, when I was looking at this week, I actually chuckled to myself. I was in a room by myself, and I just chuckled. So Jesus tells them all that. Then they were getting ready to go to their, where they were going to go in Emmaus. And Scripture tells us this. Jesus acted as if he were going on. The word could also be translated pretended. Come on, Jesus, this is like deep day of grief. And you're playing games? I mean, was he, you're pretending you're going to go on even though you think you're going to go with them to dinner? What, why are you pretending? I mean, they say, hey, we're going, we're, this is where we get off to go to, this is the off-ramp we take to go to Emmaus, the house we're going to be staying at. And he's like, okay. I mean, he pretends. He's acting. Why? To give us a little bit of humor in the Easter story? I don't think so. Maybe he wanted them to ask him to come. Maybe there's something pretty powerful in not only us telling Jesus our sadness, even though we think he knows, but maybe he wants to know us. He wants to hear us verbalize it. Not in some kind of a power way, but he knows it's good for us. And then here, maybe he just, there's times we have to ask him, Jesus, I I need you in this moment. They didn't know, they still don't know it was him. But again, through all these scenarios, you have to ask, why why is he not just, ta-da, it's me. Don't be sad anymore, let's go have a party. He doesn't. (laughs) And he acts as if he's going on. And like I said, I I was sitting at a table and I just kind of, I actually just chuckled and I said, Jesus, this is, this is funny. But if I was there on that day, Jesus, it would not have been funny. And don't do that to me, right? But it's like Jesus might say, like, that's, that's how I deal with everybody. Because I'm, I'm, I'm after something bigger than just the ending of their sadness. I'm after capturing their hearts. And this is the way in which I do that. I let them speak of their sadness. They listen to me. You listen to me. And then I let you, I want you to invite me into that situation. Because, again, I want Jesus at step one on the road to Emmaus to say, hey, by the way, it's me, Jesus. Let's talk about just what happened. Give them relief. Don't make them sick. And what's interesting is our culture today is, is geared toward short-circuiting sadness. And I'm not saying we need to be sad all the time. But, you know, when you hear about years ago there was a college student that died and instead of having a funeral 
uh, her friends had a dance party. And it's like, we, we don't want to be in this, sad, we don't want to be in that seven mile walk of sadness. I don't want that. I think there's something really, really good about walking in the reality and the heaviness of your sadness. Not in a way where you're like perpetually depressed, although depression's part of sadness at times, so that's not wrong. But it's like there's something about that as long as you're in conversation with Jesus. As long as you let him know, not that you have to officially say, Jesus, I'm sad, but he wants to know your sorrows. He wants to know your sadness. He wants to be invited into those situations. So he, when he was pretending, he has a really, really intentional good and powerful reason for why he's doing that and it's really good for Cleopas and the other guy we don't know who the guy was but it's really good and again there's my statement again in our sadness Jesus doesn't always reveal himself right away we want him to we demand him to I I, I demand him to I I need to see results right now I I don't like feeling this way because sadness is this emotion we don't like feeling because we're out of control so usually, usually, my experience with me and others, we don't want sadness. We short-circuit sadness. So we either go to anger, or anger at what happened, or we go to denial and have a dance party. Or we, you know, eat a bunch of chips and watch a bunch of movies that night because we don't want to feel sadness anymore. But feeling sadness and feeling grief, perhaps, is one of the best things that Christians should do better than anybody else. We should be really good at forgiving people because Jesus tells us to. But we should be really good at experiencing sadness in healthy, life-giving ways. Because why? Because we weren't made to. We weren't made to be sad. In the Garden of Eden, we weren't made to be sad. We weren't made to grieve. So there's something about our journey back to wholeness before God where that is healed inside of us. And it only is going to be healed if we learn how to grieve well. Not short-circuit it, not pretend over it not try to put ice cream on it and make it sound not so bad and you know, not say, well, he's in a better place. That, those are good things to say, but if we're saying that because we don't want to sit in the sadness, um, it's probably something short-circuiting what God wants to do in your heart. And I, you know, I mean, it's not a... You know, we've had, you know, Judy's had cancer, Knox has leukemia, told us some of you, other use, others, others might have friends and family that currently are going through. Our son's girlfriend has cancer diagnosis, and I'm, I'm trying to practice being sad. It's like it's not hard for me right now because I feel like I'm, I'm sad a lot about it, and I'm sad about other things. And I realize that it's like it's not bad to be sad as long as you're as long as you're talking to Jesus about it. The minute you walk away from Him and leave Him going on His own, even though He's pretending, the minute you walk away from Him, you got to deal with it by yourself. Then you will become introspectively depressed because he's not part of the conversation anymore. As long as he's part of the conversation. So he, he goes to the meal and like when I read the passage, he goes to the meal, so the break, he breaks the bread and I'm, we don't know but we're get, the best guess is somehow and how he said it when he broke the bread because in the Jewish customs all the time they'd raise the bread up and blessed our Lord our God, maker of all, you know. There was some way in which he said it or did it with his hands that was, oh, that's Jesus. That's how he does that. Something about that that God used to unveil their eyes. And they're like, 
It's Jesus. He's been there the whole time. They didn't know it till then. So when you're going through sadness or I'm going through grief or sadness, disappointment, Jesus has been there the whole time and you don't know it. So sometimes we end up saying, Jesus isn't showing up. No, he's there. But in our sadness, he doesn't reveal himself always right away. Keep walking with him. Keep staying with him. So I'm going to end with these two things. There's two things we know true about. It's true about God. First one is this. I will never leave you or I'll never abandon you. Even in your grief, I will never leave you or abandon you. He's walking with you. He's, I'm not going to leave them. He actually initiated the connection because he walked on the road with them. We know that's true about God. It's true. The book of Hebrews says it. The book of Deuteronomy says it. Even Jesus in John 14 says the Holy Spirit that he gives us will never leave us. Even in your darkest, saddest moments, laying awake in bed or driving your car by yourself or just taking a walk, he never leaves you. He's always there. You might say, I don't feel him. Okay? Join the club with Cleopas. I don't see him. Okay, join the club with the other guy who was Cleopas. It's a really good club to be in, by the way, right? I don't hear him. I don't see him. I don't feel him. But then they said, when they realized it was him, they said, wasn't our hearts, weren't our hearts burning inside of us? He was unpacking scripture. In other words, something was resonating. So the first thing we want to, Jesus said, I'll never leave you or forsake you, abandon you. Second thing is this, if you, God says that we'll always find him if we seek with all our hearts. So even in the midst of your sadness, your grief, your disappointment, keep seeking. I'm sure they were trying to figure this out. He was right there. And for some reason, God didn't let them understand that he was there. But we know he was there. I'm guessing they would probably affirm these two passages. Yeah, he never, he's never going to leave you. But we, we still have to seek. You can't just quit. You can't give in to resignation. So some, some may be going through sadness right now. Some not. But we all will or all have. But we all will, right? So it's in those moments of sadness and grief that it's really, really important to know that Jesus is always walking with you. You may not see him right away. And it's not because he's being mean or harsh. He's being incredibly loving and kind because he's building something in your soul that can't be built any other way. It's recovering your heart. So when he, when he broke the bread on Thursday night, this is Sunday afternoon. He said, this is my body broken for you. And it was a reenactment of the Passover meal. Reenacting when God set them free from the Egyptian bondage of slavery. And the Passover was when the blood's painted on your doorpost. The angel of death passed over that family. So the Jewish families were not affected. All the Egyptian families were. But he said, every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you, you, you're pronouncing forgiveness to the world. This is what I do. I forgive. And uh, every time. So when they had dinner on Sunday afternoon with Jesus, four days later, broke the bread and probably said the same thing. You know, the Jewish statement, blessed are the Lord, God of the universe. You know, they, made, they have some blessing of God. And this is what Jesus said, that's me. So every time you eat this and drink this, you're declaring my death, my resurrection, and you're declaring the forgiveness of sins for all. So um, 
Here's how we do it. John's going to come up and lead, another, lead us in a, another song. And uh, we do communion by just coming up during the song. We don't dismiss by rows. You come up when you're ready to come up. We offer you the bread. You just take a wafer. And then we just uh, dip it in the cup. Most people eat it right away. Some people take it back to where they are sitting and eat it there. But um, he said to remember him. So at times I like to think of what are the things we can remember today about Jesus. And as you put this bread and cup into you, the body and blood of Jesus, maybe what you remember is I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I will never leave you. And maybe you don't need that this moment, but you will. So um, Jesus said, I'll never leave you. Be with you into the age. The Holy Spirit will never leave you no matter what's going on. Never, 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 never. So let's remember that as we do that. So Jesus, we're grateful for your body and your blood. We're grateful for your obedience to let yourself be crucified. And we are, so you could put your power, your spirit in our human bodies that we ordinary people now have extraordinary power of the spirit of Jesus inside of us. So Jesus, we're grateful. Thank you that you open up this whole way for us to know you, to walk with you, and to talk with you and, uh, and to find life. We love you, Jesus. We ask this on your name.